0: Didn't want, she just didn't want me and my brother to argue or whatever was happening. Uh, but why, why did God say, in essence, if you can't say something good, don't say anything at all? He said it uh, more like this. Let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth um, or things along those lines. We kind of talked about what anger will do to us last week. Why, why would God, why would he say that? Because it turns out that your mouth actually controls the inflow and the outflow of what's in your heart. Blessing, cursing, joy, and anger, encouragement, and despair. It turns out that your mouth is actually a gateway for that kind of stuff, Uh, maybe more than we realize. And so it actually turns out that when God says, if you can't say anything good, how about you just hold your tongue? It turns out that he's actually trying to help us. He's actually trying to give us life, not just stop us from saying the words that are on the naughty list. Uh, so, we've been, we've been in the book of James. Uh, you might remember this verse from last week, where James gives us this instruction in James 1.19. He says, everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And we've been kind of working our way through the book of James, uh, but today I'm actually going to grab several verses all the way through the book, because I, I just want you to see this, this through line, a theme that emerges in the book of James. James tells us, we talked about anger last week. He says, be slow to become angry, but also be slow to speak. How about that? (laughs) I heard about a guy who was, uh, he was yard sailing one day, and he saw this lawnmower for sale, 50 bucks. What a great deal. So he said to the lady who's standing there with her son, he said, well, $50, like, does it work? I think that's a valid question for $50. And she says, you know, sometimes it it is kind of hard to get started but it works just fine. So he's like, oh yeah, well, I'll take it home and tinker with it, 50 bucks, he buys it. Next day, he's out in his front yard and he's just pulling that rope, right? Nothing's, nothing's happening. He put new gas in it, changed the spark plug, pulling the rope, starting to sweat, the shoulder's getting a little sore, you know, he can sort of feel the frustration and he sees the kid going by on his bike and he weighs him down. He's like, hey, hey, do you know the secret of getting this lawnmower started? I, like, what's, what's the technique? And the, and the boy says to him, well, You know, my dad used to swear at it a lot, and that seemed to help. (laughs) Eventually, he got it going. And so, the guy's like, "Well, actually, I'm a pastor, so that's not really my style. You know, it's just not really like my thing to like start screaming and swearing in the front yard at the lawnmower." And he says to the kid, "Actually, I've been a pastor so long, I I wouldn't even really know how to start swearing at the lawnmower. Like, I'd probably say things that no one even says anymore. It's been so long, I don't even remember what the right swear words are." And the kid puts his hand on his shoulder and says, keep pulling that rope, Pastor. It'll come back to you. <laughs> I know, I know. Bad stuff, right? Last week, we focused on dealing with anger. But how about just being slow to speak? How about, how about just letting it breathe for a minute before we respond? Back in James' day, it was totally different, right? Um, you couldn't just get mad at something and then immediately fire off a post on the Internet or send a text message or reply to the email. In James' day, you had to like strap on your sandals, walk over to the person's hut or wherever they lived—I don't even know—and uh, you had to like walk over there and deal with them face to face. You know, so you really had to—you really had to want it. You couldn't be quite as impulsive as maybe we could. We can't today. Every crazy thing that goes through my mind has the ability to become public in seconds. And I don't know if you've noticed in the last few years, that's created a lot of problems for a lot of people. So here's this really simple instruction that James gives us. He says, be slow to speak. You know, the Bible is, God really is trying to deal with our hearts, but sometimes it's nice when he just tells us what to do, you know, Um, when God just says, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Be slow to fire off that angry post. Be slow to send that passive-aggressive text message. Do it slowly. Respond to that email slower. Be slow to speak. So we have this key theme that emerges in James. It's the, the theme is the consistency between what we believe, what we do, and what we say. Pastor Rick quoted one of the verses. He said, don't just be hearers, be doers also of God's Word. There should be a consistency. Okay, so the next verse, if you're reading along, if you've got your Bible or your Bible app, the next verse I want to go to is James 1:26, right up here on the screen. It says, He says, those who consider themselves religious, yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues, deceive themselves, and their religion is worthless. I bet not many of us in this room consider ourselves religious. Like if I said, who's religious? I'm guessing a few, not that many hands are going to go up in the room, because that term has some negative connotations, right? Like if I said, that person's very religious, you might think that they're Judgmental, maybe kind of mean-spirited, uh, you know, uh, really zealous, maybe out of touch with culture, self-righteous. Uh, but, but the letter that James wrote was written in Greek originally. And this particular word, it doesn't have the cultural connotations that it has right now. In fact, this particular word, the idea that James is meaning to communicate is those who are devoted, those who... Uh, are respectful to God, those who revere God. To be religious in the way that James is using it means basically to not just be a person who calls themselves a Christian, but to actually be a follower of Jesus. Uh, you know that in our society, those are not the same thing, right? Because uh, we, uh, we sometimes say that we live in a Christian nation. Uh, let me ask you a question. Do we live in a Christian nation? Okay. I think that one's pretty, pretty easy, okay? Okay. I think being a follower of Jesus, someone who's actually trying to emulate Christ, that's a label that we're mostly a little more comfortable with. So here's what James says James, not me. James, not me. I wanna say that up front. If you consider yourself a committed or devoted follower of Christ, but you don't control your tongue, you're not actually following Jesus. Oh, that's harsh. I know, James, why you gotta be like that? I was doing just fine. I was just kind of rolling along until you came, came along and said, hey, you should actually do what you believe. James starts imposing his, this need for consistency on me. Not cool. But it kind of all comes back to the theme of James' message, that there should be consistency between what we believe, what we do, and what we say. Those, those things should look and sound very similar to one another. It does us no good, as Pastor Rick pointed out, to hear God's word, and then do nothing about it. It's a, it's a complete waste if it doesn't change the way we live and speak. So, have you ever had a situation where your mouth got you in trouble? Has that ever happened to you? Let's have a show of hands. Who's ever said something dumb and hadn't? Okay, okay, good. So we're mostly, uh, we're mostly together on this, so you won't judge me too harshly. Uh, I had a little situation emerge when I was in first grade. Uh, I was headed out the back door to school, and uh, I used to lock up my bike right outside the back door of our house. And I went out. I was having a little trouble fumbling with the bike lock. Couldn't get it off. And so I let out an expression of disgust, but not just any expression of disgust. It was um, the one that Ralphie Parker called the queen mother of all swear words. I think you know the one. Okay. It's uh, Cindy, you stop that. You, of all people, definitely know the one. Okay. So So... I let out the queen mother of all swear words. Here's the thing. I didn't know it was the queen mother of all swear words. I just thought it was an expression of disgust. What I also didn't know is that my queen mother was standing 10 feet away, (laughs) right there. And she did know that it was the queen mother of all swear words. So needless to say, the bike lock became the least of my problems for about the next month, okay? In my defense. I had no idea. I, I didn't know what I was saying, and you know, I obviously have very deeply seated hostility about it because I'm bringing it up again 35 years later. Uh, I was unfairly punished for that. But here's what I found out, is that an unbridled tongue will have consequences in your life. It will, it will have an impact, usually negative, if it's just out of control. Okay? Even if you don't realize it, What comes out of your mouth has the power to reap destruction in your life and in the lives of those around you, okay? So the next verse we're going to go to, James chapter 2, verse 12. He gives us his instruction to, to help us overcome this obstacle. He says, speak and act as those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Okay, there's a kind of convoluted language going on right there, but just notice that James isn't saying, you better pull yourself together or else. He's he's not saying that. Wouldn't the world just be a totally different place if we all just decided that we were going to speak and act as merciful people, people who've been judged mercifully? He says, speak like someone who's been set free. From what? What? Speak like someone who's been set free from rage, who's been set free from selfishness. Speak like somebody who's been set free from religious judgment over other people. In short, he says, be merciful toward other people. In your speech, in your judgment, be merciful. Be merciful. I love the last statement, and this is certainly one worth memorizing. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Aren't you glad that mercy triumphs over judgment? God sees you in Christ through the lens of mercy. That's how he looks at you. His thoughts toward you are merciful. I've, listen, I've made decisions. I've been the kind of person who doesn't deserve mercy. I've not always treated other people well, but God's thoughts for me by faith in Christ are merciful. You're set free from God's judgment. How about that? that's good news. And if you're a person who happens to think that God is judgmental and wrathful and, and mean, and, and he's just wanting to impose uh, his standard on you, I, I think you should reconsider. It says here that he's merciful. It says here that mercy triumphs over judgment. And James says, now that you've received mercy, be consistent. Live like someone who's, been, who's received mercy. So I, uh, I was on a flight from Milwaukee to Atlanta this last fall. Who's ever been to Milwaukee? No one? Okay, not surprising. Uh, I flew from Salt Lake to Milwaukee, uh, a couple of places you really just wanna pass through. And uh, the plane was full from Salt Lake to Milwaukee. It was packed. And when we got to Milwaukee, I was gonna stay on the same plane and go to Atlanta. And so there was myself and about four other people who stayed on the plane, and maybe like 30, 40 people got back on the plane and we took off for Atlanta plane was mostly empty, lots of empty seats on the plane. And so uh, the flight attendant came by and I was sitting in a row. It was assigned seating. I was sitting in a row with two other people. And there's like 70 empty rows in the plane. So she says, hey, when we're up in the air, if you want to get up and move around, great. You know, feel free to just grab another seat. So we get up in the air and uh, I'm in the middle. And I said to the guy next to me, thinking maybe he would get up and go to another seat. I said, uh, hey, unless you want to, I, you know, nothing personal, I'm just gonna go up and grab another seat. Hoping that he would just say, oh yeah, I'll just move. Uh, okay, no problem. But he said, oh, I'm not changing seats. I never change seats. Because if this plane goes down, they won't be able to identify your remains. <laughs> you know what's funny? Is I've actually heard other people say that same thing. And uh, so I was like, okay, I'll move it. But what I was thinking to myself was, How about we all just focus on not going down? Why don't we just worry about that? The the seat assignment is not gonna be a problem for you if we do go down, okay? Your words are kinda like this. Here's the thing, you're gonna use a lot of words in your life. Um, For some of you, this is not a joke, it will literally be tens of thousands a day. Now, for the introverts in the room, you're like, you're lying, that's not even possible. I promise you it's possible, am I right, Jessica? (laughs) Yeah, okay. I mean, you all know me, I'm, I'm chatty too. So we're going to use a lot of words. And I think James' advice here is focus on the ones that are going to keep you from going down. Pay attention to the ones that are going to get you in trouble. Control your tongue. It might just keep you from having a crash and burn. You're going to talk a lot. Cultivate a pattern of controlling the things that are coming out of your mouth. Not just saying everything, because some of those things are gonna do harm, they really are. Jesus said it this way, Matthew 12, 34, might be a familiar verse, he said, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The mouth declares for everyone to see what's on the inside. That's where it all begins, in your heart. What your heart is full of, your mouth makes public. That's a little terrifying to me, okay? This is the exact reason that I keep stressing the importance of building your life on the foundation of God's word, having a plan for how you're gonna be engaged in the scripture uh, on a daily basis throughout the week because this is the primary way that God speaks to us. It's not just about getting inspiration for right here in this moment, although it will do that, it's about filling your heart with good things. If your heart is full of good things, it will show on the outside, most, most certainly. If your heart is full of negative things, like anger, self-loathing, cynicism, uh, twisted sexuality, etc. that's going to show on the outside too. If it's on the inside, your life will reveal it. Your speech is going to declare it to everyone. So a speech problem is really a heart problem. But one of the things I discovered as I was just reading through the books of, book of James is that it actually goes the other way as well. Um, your, your speech, the things you choose to say, can actually recondition the inside. It can recondition your heart just by changing what you say, by choosing, you know what? I'm not going to speak that way. You can actually improve the condition of what's on the inside. So check out the next verse, three James 3, chapter 2. Sorry, James 3, verse 2. He says, we all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. Okay. So good news, God's not surprised that you aren't perfect. God knows that you're not perfect. He understands that. And we just talked about how mercy triumphs over judgment. Even James, Jesus' brother, by the way, even though he knew that he isn't perfect. So when your big mouth gets you in trouble, which it most certainly will at some points, all right, I'm going to call your mouth big, uh, it most certainly will, but give yourself grace. There's grace for you. So watch what James says next, verse 3. He says, when we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. I had to look this up. It turns out that most racehorses weigh somewhere around 1,000 pounds, plus or minus. Some horses weigh as much as 2,000 pounds. I had no idea. I just knew they were big. It also turns out that the average racehorse jockey weighs about 110 pounds. That I could have guessed. So they take this giant, powerful animal and they put the smallest human they can find on top of it. And that person can give a little tug either way on one side of the reins and the whole animal in spite of the fact that it could easily overpower the jockey, will go exactly where that person tells it to go. Or a giant ship. uh, Brandy and I, I've mentioned this before, which is really disturbing. We sometimes watch this show uh, that's about, like, shipbuilding and cruise ships and all of that. Like, if you're a young person, you're like, that's so lame, just look what you have to look forward to. (laughs) That's a Saturday night right there. Am I right? (laughs) Documentary on shipbuilding. Bring it on. Okay. But... It is just shocking to me how massive the ships are relative to the size of the rudder. And yet, they just turn that little thing like this, and, and the whole ship goes wherever they want it to go, wherever the pilot points it. Here's what's interesting to me, though. The mouth is not only evident of what's evidence of what's in your heart, but it is also a means of steering your heart. Your words will actually improve the condition of your heart. You can control what's in your heart by controlling, in fact, you can control the entire trajectory of your life by controlling your words, okay? So, think about this as a simple example. This one's very subtle, um, certainly not the biggest difference maker, but tomorrow's Monday morning. A lot of pastors take Monday off. Uh, I don't. I'll be working tomorrow, so, and many of you will return to work. Uh, Think about, so let's just say, let's just say you invited me to come over to your house tomorrow at 10 a.m. to do a little quilting. I've never done quilting, and to be honest, I'm probably never going to, but, you know, hypothetically speaking. Uh, I could say, I'm sorry, I can't, I have to work tomorrow. Or I could say, I'm sorry, I can't, I'm working tomorrow. Are those two different statements? I, I think they are. Now, it's just a very subtle, very small thing, but just think about the condition of that statement. I have to do this, or I am doing this. I'm not one of those weirdos who's going to say, oh, I can't do it. I get to go to work tomorrow. Okay, I'm not crazy like that. But I'm not going to say, oh, I have to do this. It's total drudgery. I'm going to say, this is what I'm doing because I'm conditioning my heart. There's a big difference. If you're married, let me ask you this question. Do your words alter the trajectory of your marriage? The answer should be yes. If you think the answer is no or you're not sure, we should pray about this. Yes, your words do change the trajectory of your marriage. The way you handle words will change the trajectory of your marriage, of your, uh, of your parenting, of your career, of your friendships, etc. So the Bible tells us exactly what to do with our words. Okay, now this is, this is one that you might want to make a note of, because sometimes it's easier when Jesus says, do this. Okay, that's easier than trying to figure it out. So this is what the Bible says in Hebrews 3.13. It says, encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, what should you do with your words? What should you use them for? Encourage one another. How often? Day after day. And how long should you keep up that pattern? For as long as it is called today. All the time. Use your words to encourage, to build up. Words spoken in anger or pride, and by the way, pride sometimes just surfaces as insecurity. Those are sort of two sides of the same coin. Words spoken that way will and can be damaging to the other person, but they also are damaging to your own heart. They also deteriorate the condition of your own life. I mean, have you ever had a friendship or maybe you've been in a, a dating relationship or something with a person who was just very insecure? Like, how, what a toll does that take on your relationship? Hey, Jesus says, choose your words. The, the Bible says, choose your words carefully. We do a ton of communication these days, non-verbally. Uh, a lot of you probably use email as like your primary mode of communication for work, but there's also, you know, text messaging, social media. We do all kinds of, you know, that's like a big part of our communication. So let's just do a live poll, okay? We're, I'm just going to poll you on social media. Uh, raise your hand if you believe this statement is true, Okay? Other people's social media posts make their life look better than it actually is. We have have general consensus on this. Okay. Raise your hand if you think this statement is true. My social media posts make my life look better than it actually is. There are decidedly less hands. Okay, There was a much more scientific poll done on this. Actually, Time Magazine did a poll on this this very thing. 76% of the respondents said, other people's social media makes their life look better than it actually is. 22% said my social media posts make my life look better than it actually is. James said, just like a bridle for a horse or a rudder like a ship, verse, chapter 3, verse 5, he says, likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Okay, we don't... When he says tongue, I mean, that was really their only form of communication, but we use words digitally just as often as we use them verbally. The principle is the same. He's hitting that issue of pride and self-justification. The tongue or the thumbs sometimes, it's a small part of the body, but it will steer the course of our life. It'll steer the whole thing anywhere our words want it to go. As your words go, so goes your heart, so goes the condition of your life, really, James says, verse six, consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire. It's a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. That's pretty strong language, I'm not gonna lie. But it sounds like something we should probably take seriously. I mean, if our words really have that kind of power, we should pay attention. So I like to joke around a lot. Uh, It's kind of in my nature. I like to be sarcastic a lot. I'm working on that, trying to control that. Turns out not everybody finds that funny. Am I right, sweetheart? Okay. Uh, See, I just did it again. I can't even walk away. I don't even know what to do. Uh, The the heart speaks, the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. So just give me a serious moment on this, though, even though I I like to joke. I'm going to try to rein it in. If your heart is full of good, your worlds will be good. And if your heart is full of good and your words are good, it will actually put good things back into your heart. Okay, so when James says, says the heart, sometimes that's hard to conceptualize, but here's the thing. We all have an inner voice, right? If you have ever wondered, am I the only one who like talks to themselves in their head all the time? No, you're not. That's actually normal. We all have an inner dialogue that's going all the time. As long as you're awake, your inner voice is going. Okay, that's That's where your heart resides. And by choosing our words carefully, we can feed that inner dialogue good things. Okay, so I'm not saying that you should all be serious all the time and never joke around. Okay, in fact, I think you should make a habit of not taking yourself too seriously because, as I often say, if you can't laugh at yourself, the rest of us will do it for you. I think that's a real thing, okay? But what I am saying is that we should be careful to fill ourselves with good things namely the words of God. I know, I'm a pastor. That's what I'm supposed to say. It also bears the burden of being the truth. So how about that? Yeah, I think, I think we need to exercise more control over both what comes out of our mouth and what we're feeding ourselves, the dialogue that we're having. I had a friend just this week. He told me the most practical thing. I can't believe I'm a pastor and I never thought of this. He said, you know, I have found that about every eight to 12 hours, I just need to stop, pull out my Bible app and just put something good in. He said, what it does is I go through my day and stressful things I got to deal with. He said, it just, it just nudges me back onto the path that I want to be on. And I was like, you're a genius. And that seems like the most obvious thing to do. Okay, I've been encouraging you for you know, ever basically, to anchor yourself in God's word throughout the week for a long time. Because I know that if you'll do three simple things, your life will flourish. Okay, if you'll learn to talk to God through prayer, learn to hear from God through the scripture, and commit yourself to Christian community so that you can encourage one another. If you will do those three things, you will posture yourself for the life of flourishing. The words in and the words out, and they're going to steer the course of your life. So James says, this is like, this is like a shot right between the eyes. He says, can blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth? I don't know, you tell me. It seems that that might be happening in you know, all of our lives. He, he asks questions rhetorically. Um, can fresh water and salt water come out of the same spring? Can a fig tree bear olives? Can I live the life that God has for me and do whatever I want to do at the same time? Verse 10, you know what he says? My brothers and sisters, this should not be. The answer is no. It, it can't be both ways. Later on, he's, he's going to cite uh, Proverbs 3. Uh, later on chapter 4, we're not going to go that direction. He says, God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. You know, the world is just full of messages and people saying, you know what, do you. Do you. Get what you need. Take care of yourself. Do what you want. Put yourself first. That, that's like the prevailing message. Okay? If you grew up in our society in the last you know, three or four decades at least, uh, you probably grew up with this uh, premise in mind as you went through school if I get the right education, I'll get the job I want and I'll be happy, right? Get a good job, get a good house, get a good reputation, get a good everything, and you'll be happy. Turns out, though, it doesn't work. Oh, well, maybe if I just get work-life balance, then I'll be happy. Okay, that didn't work. Well, maybe if I just get influence and people to notice me, maybe then I'll, that didn't work either. That, that wasn't the key either. So, I just want to share with you before we wrap up a really short parable that Jesus shared that's going to cut in the exact opposite direction of that message. Okay? Jesus spoke parables so that the people who were listening and, and who wanted to understand his teaching, they would get it. It would feed them. But then people who really weren't, you know, they were just going to do things their own way anyway, they really weren't listening, it would just be a cute story and they wouldn't understand. Okay, So Jesus told this story to a group of people who really viewed themselves as good people. You know, better than the regular people. We're kind of the ones who are doing it right. It's in Luke 18. Jesus told this parable, verse 10. It says, two men went up to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, uh, the good guy, uh, so, so he thought, and the other a tax collector, a sinner. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, not like robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector, which I kind of find that part pretty amusing, right? Thank you, God, that I'm not like that guy. Uh, that's, that's pretty bold. He said, God, I give, I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of all that I have. As if he was doing God a huge favor. Verse 13 says, but the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but he beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus says, I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. What's the point of that parable? The point of that parable is that the one who had a humble heart before God received mercy, received God's favor, received blessing. The one who spoke humbly before God was the one who went away home went home, with his burden lightened, the one who postured himself humbly before God. So here's what I can tell you. Um, God has a plan for your life, wherever you're starting at today. And and that's not just pastor speak. It's actually biblical. God has plans for you. But having an angry or proud or unbridled tongue, that's outside of that plan. James is, is very clear about that. As your heart goes, so goes your words, so goes the rest of your life. Those things are all in line with each other. So Jesus said in Matthew 7 24, He said, Whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. Okay, so as James talks about controlling the tongue, I want to ask you two questions What is God saying, and what will you do about it? Jesus said, Whoever hears and puts it into practice is like a wise person who built their house. On the rock. In this church family, we are building life on the rock. We are building our lives on the foundation of God's word. So I want to call you to put good things into your heart so that your words will be words of life, so that your words will give life to yourself and to others. Would you do me a favor and stand stand where you are, real quick? Jessica is going to, in a moment, she's going to lead us in our declaration of faith and and dismiss us. Uh, I just want to say, uh, if you need someone to pray with you about this issue or something else, uh, I'm just going to ask Paul and Chris if they'll just be right here at the end of service. Um, And Brandon and Danielle, if you guys are available, maybe you could just hang out right over here. Um, If you don't know who those people are, just look for the person who looks like they're waiting for someone to come talk to them. Uh, If you need someone to pray with you, we would love to do that. We'd love to pray with you about this issue if if you're just struggling with controlling your anger or your words, or if you just need to say yes to Jesus, or if you have something else going on, I want to encourage you, grab one of them as soon as we're done. But let me put this challenge before you. Will you be slower to speak? Will you just give God the chance to intervene in your situations by just reserving your own words and giving him a chance to speak into the situation? Let's pray together. Lord, thank you that you have promised the Holy Spirit to be our helper, that you would be with us by your spirit, and that as we call out to you and seek you for help, that you would be there, that you would answer. So Lord, I pray that as we go through this week and we all choose life on the foundation, we choose to be slower to speak, to take your word and put it into practice, God, that you would show up in each of those situations as we trust you. God, I thank you for this church family. I pray you will bless them, protect them, and provide for them in every way. In Jesus' name, amen.